there was a uh, public school teacher who was asking the children in her class, they were all from different faiths, different backgrounds, does your family have any religious objects at home? So one little boy says, uh, yeah, I think so. We have this uh, painting of this mother with her, her, her head is glowing and she's holding a little baby and uh, my mother kneels in front of it and, and prays. That's a religious object we have in the home. And uh, another one of the kids says, yeah, we have this uh, statue, this bronze statue of this, this fat man kneeling on the ground, sitting on the ground. And my parents light incense in front of it every day. And uh, the teacher says, yes, it sounds like a religious object. And then this other little boy says, yeah, I think we have a religious object at home. Uh, we have this platform in the bathroom on the floor and it has numbers on it. My mother goes in there every morning, she stands on it and she says, oh my God. <sighs> anyway, today we are on our second class in a series, a monthly series, that is looking at the 10 mitzvah campaigns initiated by the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And um, it's interesting, all of the mitzvah campaigns are in some way connected to the Jewish home. They're all about worship, our relationship with Hashem, uh, as it takes place, not in the synagogue, but rather in our own homes. Last month, our class was about mezuzah. Mezuzah is clearly that something that goes on the doorposts of the Jewish home. And tonight we're going to be discussing Shabbos candles. Shabbos candles also is connected with the Jewish home. It's a mitzvah that is performed in the home. And um, in some ways, it is the mainstay of the home because it is that which turns on the lights in the Jewish home and uh, illuminates everything else that's happening there. So we're going to speak about that, the power of the Shabbos candles to light up the Jewish home and by extension to light up the entire world. Uh, the, the Shabbos candle campaign, the Mivza, began um, in Tovshin Lamid Dalad, 1974. And the Rebbe was speaking about the darkness in the world, that we live in tumultuous times. And you, you, you read the Sicha, the, the transcript of the address, and you could think that I was talking about today. We live in tumultuous times and we don't know what's going to happen from one minute to the next. And there are forces of darkness in the world and we need light, we need light. And therefore, the Rebbe said, 
what am I proposing? I'm proposing that we launch a campaign to raise awareness and promote the lighting of Shabbos candles by Jewish women and girls all over the world. And these lights, these tiny little lights, will stave off the spiritual darkness. They will bring light to the homes of these Jewish girls and women. And by extension, they will bring light to the entire world. So the Rebbe really framed this campaign in terms of the micro and the macro, the, the home and the world at large, and the idea of Shabbos candles having this power to influence and to change and to bring about a transformation, a positive transformation, both on the individual as well as global level. So let's, let's talk a little bit about this about the power of Shabbos candles. First of all, Shabbos candles are interesting in that they are uh, light. Light is an interesting thing. In fact, it's <laughs> questionable whether or not you can even refer to it as a, as a thing. <clears throat> you know, that's the, you know, the, the, the question in science. Well, is light a, uh, a, a wave or a particle? By the way, you know about the photon? who checked into a hotel, the clerk asked him, sir, do you have any luggage? The photon said, no, sir, I'm traveling light. Traveling, okay. Anyway, um, so light is this intangible, uh, again, I hesitate to call it a thing because it's not a thing, it's not a physical object. Light is this, uh, this force, this energy, that defies physical categorization. And in that sense, it is it borders on the spiritual. It's something that we can perceive with our physical senses, yet it's it's intangible and uh, and in that way light is often used as a metaphor for spiritual energy. In in Kabbalah, we always speak about oir, the the light, the energy, the uh, the, the godly force, the spiritual uh, power, is always called light. And even more specifically, mitzvahs. Mitzvahs are called light. The wisest of all men, Shleim HaMelech, King Solomon, says in his Proverbs, Ner mitzvah v'teira ayr, that a candle is a mitzvah, or a mitzvah is a candle, and teira is, is, is light. So in that sense, Light has this very rich symbolism and meaning in Judaism. Um, but the Shabbos candle is both symbolically a light, as, as all mitzvahs are, as well as literally a light. It's a, it's a literal light. And, and in that sense, the Shabbos candles, in a certain way, uh, are the quintessential mitzvah. Even though, interestingly, Lighting Shabbos candles is not one of the Taryag mitzvahs. It's not one of the 613 biblical commandments. It's one of the seven rabbinic commandments. So it is considered a commandment. That's why one who lights Shabbos candles makes a bracha, recites the blessing, Asher Blessing God who commanded us to do this mitzvah 
although the commandment is not explicitly in the Bible, it's a commandment that comes by way of the sages and the power they were vested with by the Torah to legislate these, um, these mitzvahs. So Shabbos candles, again, is not a biblical mitzvah, and yet in certain ways it's the quintessential mitzvah because all mitzvahs are light and, and, and Shabbos candles are literal light. Now, what, what, what can we learn from this idea that Shabbos candles are light? You know, there was one time the, the previous Rebbe was traveling through Central Europe and he stopped in a, a hotel in Vienna, Austria. A very lavish, fancy hotel, as are many of the hotels there in, uh, in Vienna. And a group of local activists, Jewish activists, came to meet with him. Now, they were not Chassidim. They were from, you know, Vienna. They were Central European. So they were neither Chassidim or Misnagdim. They were not, you know, they, didn't, they were not in that fight. That was more of an Eastern European thing. They were more modernized, more cosmopolitan. And so they met with the, the previous Rebbe and, and they asked him, you know, what's the point of Chassidus? What did Chassidus add to Judaism. Now you have to understand something. That is a damned if you do, damned if you don't proposition. And I'll explain to you why. Because if you say, well, I'll tell you what Chassidus added to Judaism. Uh oh, it added, it added. We don't need you to add anything. We don't want anyone to innovate. Don't add anything. Let's keep it pure. Give me that old time religion, right? On the other hand, if you say, oh, Chassidus didn't add anything to, to Judaism. So then the answer is, oh, great. Well, if it didn't add anything, then I'm fine the way I am. I, that's what I have already right now. So what are you supposed to do? Either answer, the person is going to reject chassidus. So the previous Rebbe took a light, a lamp, and tilted it so that it was shining upward at the crown molding on the, uh, the top of the wall. There were these ornately carved wooden flowers at the top of the crown molding. And the Friedrich Rebbe, the previous Rebbe, asked these, uh, these activists, do you see the, the carved wooden flower there at the top of the wall? So they said, yes, we see it. Um, now that you shine the light on it, we, 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 we see it. So the previous Rebbe said, did you see it? A minute ago they said no we didn't it was obscured by the darkness so we didn't take notice the previous Rebbe said but was it there a minute ago they said yes of course it was there previous Rebbe says ah that is Chassidus you understand the answer what did Chassidus add to Judaism nothing just like the carved wooden flower in the crown molding wasn't added to the room by shining a light on it when you turn on the lights, you don't put anything into the room that wasn't in the room already. Turning on the lights simply enables you to appreciate what was there all along. And, and, and that's what Shabbos candles do. Shabbos candles, as both literal and symbolic light, allow us to appreciate what is already in the home. See, light is an intangible quality, as we were saying before. Um, and yet, in certain ways, it is as much of a staple or a mainstay of the home as the 
the tangible things that we need in a home. You know, it's, it says about Sara Imenu, the first uh, Jewish mother, the first Jewish wife, that there were three miracles that occurred in her tent on a constant basis. One was that there was a blessing in the dough. And that meant that no matter how many guests they had, and they always had guests, Avram and Sarah, Abraham and Sarah were always providing hospitality. So no, how many, no matter how many guests they had, there was a blessing in the dough. Everyone was able to be satiated. And that's an important thing for you know, a balabasta, that she knows she can always serve her family and her guests and that they'll be satiated. Second miracle, it says, that happened on a regular basis was the, the Onon Kasher Ba'ayhel. There was a, a protective cloud over her tent. And uh, that provided special shelter, a special uh, protection. And then there was the Ner Dolok Me Erev Shabbos Ad Erev Shabbos. There was a, a, a Shabbos candle that stayed lit from Friday afternoon until Friday afternoon. Um, and by the way, in, in case you're asking, I, I, I mentioned earlier that Shabbos candles are not one of the biblical mitzvahs. They're a rabbinic mitzvah. So you're going to say, well, then how did Sarah light Shabbos candles? And uh, we know that the Aves and the Mois, the patriarchs and the matriarchs, intuitively, because of their pro- profound spiritual sensitivity, kept all of the mitzvahs rabbinic as well, um, just sort of... Um, by uh, by intuition, um, they were not commanded to do so. They were not commanded the rabbinical mitzvahs. And for that matter, they were not even commanded yet the biblical mitzvahs. They did all of it out of intuition. But um, the point is that Sara, the first Jewish mother, did light Shabbos candles. Now, the reason we light Shabbos candles is not because she did it, but rather because of the rabbinical commandment later um, enjoining us to do so. At any rate... This, this, these three miracles are sort of like the signs of the Jewish home, to the extent that when Sarah passed away, these three miracles ceased. And then how did her son Yitzchak, Isaac, how did he know that he was marrying the right girl when Rivka, Rebecca, was brought to him? When she came to the tent, those three miracles returned, the three miracles that were associated with, with her uh, late mother-in-law. So... The Rebbe asks a question about these, these miracles. How come uh, these, these miracles? Um, weren't there miracles going on all the time in Sada's tent? So, so why these three? I mean, why not four? Why not five? Not, why not a hundred? And, and the Rebbe explains that really there were many miracles. And the reason that the Medrash singles out these, th- these specific three is not to say only these three, but rather these are three categories. They're not three specific items. They're three general categories within which can be included everything else that was going on in the Jewish home. And in fact, they're a lesson to us about the three main categories or three, let's call them, irreducible needs of every Jewish home. Category number one is represented by the blessing in the dough. So that's one irreducible need that the Jewish mother needs to be able to provide food. Obviously, uh, kosher food, food that is spiritually fit, but also 
on a, on a very simple material level. She needs to be able to provide for to feed her family. And we know that's one of the things that a Jewish mother has always prided herself in, the ability to, to feed the family. So that's one of the main needs. The next is the, the protective cloud over the tent. And, and that sort of symbolically represents the category of the, the confines of the home, meaning the, the house itself, the structure, the physical structure, but also the decor and the furniture and, and, and everything that makes the space a, a livable space. So basically, food is the first category and shelter. Shelter is the second category. And then you have the third category. The third category, the, the Shabbos candles, which stayed lit from one out of Shabbos to the next, that represents the warmth in the home the intangible quality of, of, of love and, and vision, of, 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 of belief. That's, that's what the, the, the Shabbos candles represent. And, and, you know, obviously, if you'd ask yourself, which one of these three categories is not like the other? Remember Sesame Street? Which one, which one of these kids is not like the other? Which one of these three categories is different than the other two? I mean, obviously, all three of them are different from each other, which makes them different categories. But two of the categories are more similar to each other than, uh, than they are to one of the others. And I think it's obvious. You know, the first category is food. That's a material thing. Second category is shelter. That's also a material thing. Third category is light. That's completely intangible. The warmth, the, the inspiration, the the sense of purpose that permeates the home, totally, totally uh, intangible. And yet, and yet, just as much of a mainstay, just as much of a staple as the first two. It's interesting, not to get off on, a, on, a, on an aside here, but, you know, Viktor Frankl, who wrote uh, Man's Search for Meaning, so he had this whole theory called logotherapy, and he basically ranked meaning along with biological needs like food and, and, and clothing and shelter as, as, a, as a survival need that people have to have meaning. Now, meaning is a totally intangible uh, quality. Meaning is not um, a biological need. It's not a physical thing. And, and, and yet, uh, Frankel asserted that people can't live without it. And he saw that uh, affirmed for him in his Auschwitz experience. And, and we see throughout, the, throughout Jewish history, really, you know, there were times when Jewish people had very little uh, as far as the material. They didn't own possessions. They couldn't own land. They weren't protected under the law, so they didn't really have even the safety of their own bodies. And, and yet they had light. They had a sense of purpose and meaning they had a worldview that comes from the Holy Torah. And, and that has allowed the Jewish people not only to survive, but to thrive even when they didn't have the basic material needs uh, being met. So not only is light equally a need on par with our material needs, but in some ways even more important and has been the mainstay of the Jewish people throughout history. The point is that you can't just live a material life. You cannot just live a life 
of things, of objects, surrounded by possessions. You need to have light in the house. And light doesn't mean physical, you know, actually light isn't physical, but light that you see with the rods and the cones in your eyes. Okay, that's the symbolism. The symbolism is, is that light. But what it represents is light in the symbolic sense of meaning and, 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 and purpose. You know, it was Helen Keller who said, what's worse than being blind? Lacking vision. What's worse than being blind, Helen Keller said, lacking vision. She didn't mean physical sight. She meant vision, the ability to dream, the ability to, to believe, to hope. And that's what light represents. So again, you can have a house full of things. You can have creature comforts. You can be surrounded by objects. But if you don't have meaning, if you don't have a purpose for it all, then these objects are, are, are worthless. And, and, and worse than that. They're not just worthless, they become an impediment. Think about the people for whom their, their possessions become a curse. You know, um, there's a story. A shliach was performing a wedding on, a, on an island, on a private island, for a very, very wealthy family. And um, right before the chuppah, he realized that there was not one single um, Shabbos observant guest, which presents a problem. Because to have a kosher chuppah, the actual Jewish marriage ceremony is a legal, um, is, it's, a, it's a legal event as well. And it requires uh, legal witnesses. Now in Jewish law, one of the qualifications, or perhaps the, uh, you know, the, de the definitive qualification for a witness in Jewish law is, a, is someone who's Shabbos observant. And there was nobody there who was. Um, so the, the rabbi thought fast, and he thought, can I, the officiating rabbi, be one of the witnesses? And he realized, yes, he could be one of the witnesses. He, the, the officiating rabbi can act uh, as well as one of the witnesses, but he still needed another person. And like I said, they were on a private island. So there was no way that they were going to just, you know, it's not like you're, you're in a shul in a storefront and you can just go stand out on the corner and ask passersby, excuse me, sir, are you Jewish? Would you like to be the 10th for the minion? It's not that kind of situation. They're on a private island. There's, they're hours away from anybody. So the rabbi, finally, he told the family, he says, I really don't know what to do. We're in a real pickle. Maybe we have to reschedule the wedding. I don't know what to do here. They said, no, but everybody came from so far. It's not going to be possible to reschedule. He says, but I don't know what to do. My hands are tied by Jewish law. So the best man, one of the groom's friends, he steps forward and he says, I'll do it. The rabbi says, you'll do what? He says, I'll become Shabbos observant. So he says, what do you mean you become Shabbos observant? So the, the guy says, would that work? So the rabbi is thinking, you know, it's an interesting question. Would it work? And... Um, so he thinks and he realizes, yeah, actually it would work, even though, you know, there hasn't been a Shabbos yet. But if a Jew resolves to be Shabbos observant, then even before they've had an opportunity to observe Shabbos, they would be considered um, a Shabbos observing Jew. 
So he says, yeah, it would work. He says, so I'll do it. He says, no, 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 but hold on a second. I'm just telling you, technically it would work. Practically, I don't think it's a good idea. He says, why not? I'll do it. The rabbi says, have you ever been Shabbos observant? The guy says, no. The rabbi says, I don't think you realize what you're getting into. I, I can't. I can't let you just impetuously take on this, this commitment. It's just too much. The guy says, I really want to do this. This is my wedding present to the, to the bride and groom. So the rabbi sees the guy is serious. So he says, you know what? Go think about it for an hour. An hour is not that long. Because to get to, to the mainland and bring somebody back would have taken, you know, half a day. So an hour, you know, that's, you know, serve some more hors d'oeuvres for an hour and drink some more champagne and let, let everyone wait. So he says, okay, think for an hour. So after the hour, the guy says, I thought about it. I want to become Shabbos observant. So the rabbi says, okay, I see that you're, you're serious. Fine, you're Shabbos observant. And they, they acted as the witnesses for the, for the chuppah. Years later, the rabbi is walking down the street in Miami Beach. And uh, a guy walks over to him and says, Rabbi, how you doing? And the rabbi doesn't recognize him. And the guy is like, Rabbi, you don't recognize me? He's like, I'm sorry, I really don't. He says, that wedding on the private island, remember? Shabbos observant. The rabbi is like, ah. Yeah, of course, I remember you. And the rabbi then all of a sudden wants to, wants to ask a question, but he's not sure how the polite way to ask the question is. So the guy sees it, he senses, he says, Rabbi, I know what you want to ask me, but you're, you're nervous to ask me. You want to know if I still keep Shabbos? The rabbi is like, yeah, actually I did. I, I'm very curious. He says, Rabbi, not only do I keep Shabbos, Shabbos saved my family. The rabbi says, how is, how is that so? The guy says, listen, my peer group, you know, you, you saw where, you know, that wedding happened on that private island. You know, these are all very, very rich, very powerful people. Everyone that I know my age, they're either divorced already or they're miserable in their marriage. I'm the only one from my peer group who's happily married. And I, and I only have one reason to believe that my life is different than everyone else's. And that's because I'm the one who's Shabbos observant. And if I have to think about why that's so... I realize it's because, you know, wherever I am in the world on business, I'm home by Friday. Whatever else is going on, the family sits down at the dinner table together. Shabbos candles are lit. We're sitting there. We're together. No distractions. And that helped our family remain a unit. It held us together. And that's why I believe that our family is the only one like ours out of all of our peer group. It's what, what's the difference between us and them? We have Shabbos. So I was saying before, you know, Shabbos, and especially Shabbos candles, are the light that allows you to appreciate what's already there in the home. That if you don't have the light, you just have the physicality of the home, so then not only do the physical things in the home become worthless, but they can actually become an impediment. So if you have all the physical stuff, but you don't have the lights on, meaning you don't have meaning, you don't have vision, then all the physical possessions, not only are they worthless, but like I said, much worse. They can, they can become an impediment. So like this guy is saying, my peer group, they, they, they don't lack for anything. They have whatever they want. They're surrounded by all the, you know, the creature comforts, all the amenities, but it's not helping them. It's not promoting healthy, happy living. But when you have the light of the Shabbos candles, now you can appreciate what you have. And more importantly than appreciating what you have, appreciating who you have in your life. 
because the Shabbos candles allow us to appreciate the people in our lives. What, what, what does that mean? You know, there's a, there's a Mishnah that talks about somebody who has tzaras. Tzaras is a difficult idea to explain, but it's a, it's a disease that existed in biblical times. They call it leprosy. It's not really leprosy, but at any rate, uh, a person who has this condition, uh, if they are in a home, it defiles everything in the home. It defiles the home and everything in it. So the question is, what happens if this person who has this condition called tzaras enters his neighbor's home? Okay, and the neighbor didn't give permission. So can he, against the will of the neighbor, defile the neighbor's home by coming in, you know, uninvited? And, and the answer is no, but that's if he's truly uninvited. If he stays there and nobody kicks him out, then he's implicitly considered invited, or at least tolerated, and then the impurity takes hold in the entire house. So the, the owner of the home has to kick him out. He has to say, get out of here, you're impure. Um, how long does he have to kick him out? You know, like an hour? No, a very short amount of time. The Mishnah says the amount of time it takes to light a Shabbos candle. Very interesting. The amount of time it takes to light a Shabbos candle. It's a very interesting way of quantifying time. I mean, first of all, it's not something that happens often in the home. It only happens once a week, right? So it's not like a regular occurrence in the home. So the Rebbe explains a deeper meaning to this Mishnah, which is just so powerful and beautiful. What is tzeras? So I was saying before, it's this you know, disease that, that causes impurity. But I, we also know that it, it comes about because of uh, fractured relationships. One of the causes why a person is punished with tzeras is because he speaks Lashon Hara. He speaks a divisive speech that, that breaks ties between friends and between uh, spouses and uh, siblings. So tzeras is a punishment for causing d division in relationships. That's why also midah uh, keneged midah, measure for measure, the rehabilitation of the person who has tzeras is to be quarantined. To be isolated. He has to sit outside of the community during his rehabilitation period and be by himself and uh, because he caused people to separate from each other. So his rehabilitation is to be separated temporarily before he can then become reintegrated into the community. So Tsaras really is the spiritual impurity that comes about because of broken relationships. Or another way you could say it is it is the negative energy of isolation. It is the negative energy that causes people to be lonely. That is what Tzaras is. So if you understand it that way, you can read the Mishnah in another way. How do you ward off? How do you banish the negative energy of isolation and loneliness from the home? By lighting a Shabbos candle. That's how we read the Mishnah. That by lighting the Shabbos candle, we ward off the spirit of isolation and loneliness. We live in a time today when everybody is lonely. People live under one roof 
and they don't know each other. They pass each other in the hallway while they're looking into their smartphones. I heard a comedian say, in today's day and age, if you want to call a family meeting, you know what you do? You want the whole family to show up? You go to the room where the router is, where the Wi-Fi router is, you pull the plug, you stand there and you wait, and in a few minutes you'll have the entire family standing there, you'll have a family meeting. So we're living in this time of like this isolation, this loneliness crisis, where people are living under one roof and they're lonely, they don't know each other. So what is the cure for this loneliness epidemic? You light the Shabbos candle, the Shabbos candle banishes the spirit, the spirit of impurity, the negative spiritual force of, 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 of separation and loneliness and isolation. Quite literally, when the Shabbos candle is lit and the family is able to sit there, for at least a few minutes, they see each other. They actually see each other. So I was saying before, the light of the Shabbos candle doesn't just allow you to see what you have, it allows you to see who you have in your life. When the Shabbos candles are lit and the family gathers around and they have that family time, all of a sudden we see each other. You're sitting across the table from someone and, and, and you don't have the advantage or the disadvantage, as it were, of, of looking into this piece of plastic, this smartphone, and ignoring uh, the person any longer. The, the Shabbos candles, more than ever in our day and age, are, are, are absolutely a necessity to call the family together and have an opportunity to actually see the people in your life. Who are these people that live under the same roof with you? It has this incredible power of bringing us together. I should, I should mention also, I want to go back for a minute. I was saying that the Shabbos candles allow you to, to see what you have in your life. That, that when you just have material possessions without the light of meaning and vision and purpose, that our possessions can become an impediment. So I just want to go back to that for a second. Um, I started speaking about relationships and, and the people that we live with, but I want to go back to the idea of the physical things we're surrounded with. It's interesting that in Shulchan Aruch, in the Code of Jewish Law, uh, it says that the purpose of Shabbos candles is to bring about shalom, peace. Now, that's actually from, from uh, the Rambam says that, and so does the Gemara, the Talmud, but... Uh, the wording in the Alter Rebbe Shulchan Aruch, the Shulchan Aruch HaRav, is, uh, and that's in Reish uh, Samach Gimel, chapter 263, uh, halacha, the first halacha, that you light the Shabbos candles, Shaloi Yekoshel Be'etz U'Be'evin. You light the Shabbos candles so that you shouldn't stumble or trip on a piece of wood or a stone. Now, traditionally, in the old times, when they didn't have electric lights blaring all night, it, 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 once the sun went down, it was dark. The house was dark. So if you wanted to have an evening meal, like you do on Shabbos, if you don't light Shabbos candles, so it's dark, and you're going you're to be bumping into people, you're, you're going to put your elbow in the soup, right? So you light the Shabbos candles, so you don't bump into wood and stone. But again, there's a deeper reading. Again, this is from the Rebbe, a deeper way of reading this. Eitz and Evan, wood and stone, are symbolic of idol worship. There's a, there's a verse 
one of the Haftorahs that we read during the three weeks where the, the prophet is decrying how the Jewish people have fallen into idol worship and and they say, the Jewish people say, they say to a, a piece of wood, an idol of wood, you are my father. And they say to the stone, you gave birth to us. They call the, the stone their, their mother. Now, obviously no one literally believes a, wood, a piece of wood is their father and their, and their, and their mother is, is a stone. What it means is that they're giving power to these, to these idols, um, you know, giving them a central place in their lives. How do we relate to this in our day and age? You know, we don't have actual idols, or, or, or do we? The idea that the material world functions autonomously, that one God, one power, one unifying force isn't directing at all, that, that's idolatry. So when we live a fragmented life where we actually believe that, let's say, our material prosperity is in the hands of the stock market or of the politicians or of whatever we want to believe, whatever non-godly power, whatever human power, that's a form of idol worship. When, when we start to become attached to physical possessions as if they just, you know, we have them because we think we went out and we earned them and we bought them rather than understanding that Hashem is creating the world every single second the way that He wants to and, and giving everybody whatever they have at this moment. When, when, when we live a life where, you know, sort of the material world becomes divorced from the spiritual reality that, it, that is at its core, that is idolatry. And so what happens is we look at the physical objects around us, the eights and the even, or the, you know, the, 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 the smartphone and the laptop and the, uh, you know, the dishwasher, whatever, whatever it is, the new car, the self-driving car. And we start to see these things as having value unto themselves, as, as, as something that just, it, it just is because, you know, it is. I have it just because I like it, rather than understanding that really Hashem is creating it all and giving it all to us at this moment for a purpose, and we're supposed to use it for a purpose. So, so that separation of the material from the spiritual is, is a form of idolatry. And, and what do we need to do? We need to realize, no, there's no such thing as that separation. That separation, we're creating that separation in our mind. Really, everything we have exists for one purpose. It's all to serve the one. That idea that it's all to serve the one is called shalom, it's called peace. Making peace between the material objects and their spiritual purpose is called shalom. It's called making peace. So what happens? You light the Shabbos candles and they illuminate our eyes. We start to see that things have purpose, they have meaning. We don't just have these things around us to have them, that God gives us these gifts as blessings so that we can use them. So instead of tripping over the, the, the dining room table because we're in the dark, so to speak, we have the light on, so the dining room table becomes the place that's our altar in our home where the family gathers around and we bond with each other. 
And, and, and that, I'm just saying that as a metaphor for everything that we have in our lives. So instead of the things in our lives just becoming separate from, from any sense of purpose or vision or, or, or calling or, 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 or directive, when we have the lights on, now everything, now there's shalom, there's peace, because there's an integration between the material and the spiritual, and we see the purpose for everything in our lives. So that's, the Rebbe says, that's the hidden meaning of that line in the Code of Jewish Law. You light the Shabbos candles to bring about peace, so you don't, so you don't trip on the wood and the stone. The peace means you see that the material and the spiritual have to come together to serve a single purpose, and now you won't stumble, meaning you won't make a mistake on the wood and the stone. You won't think that the physical objects in your life are just there because they're there and, you know, just enjoy them for the heck of it. So again, the idea of the Shabbos candles is to give us that clarity, that vision to appreciate why we have what we have and how to use it in a mindful, purposeful way. As well as what I mentioned earlier, the Shabbos candles allow us to appreciate the people in our lives, the people that we live under the same roof with. But the point is the, the, the same. Light doesn't put anything new into the house that wasn't in the house. Light allows us to see what was, what was already there and to use it in the right way, to appreciate it. And in, and in that sense, Shabbos candles have such a power because once you start appreciating what you have, um, one epiphany leads to the next. You know, in cartoons, when people have a, 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 an epiphany, when they have a realization, a moment of clarity, there's a light bulb that appears over their head. They have a light bulb moment. So I would like to suggest that there's something um, of a Shabbos candle moment. When a Shabbos candle sort of appears over your head, metaphorically, where all of a sudden you say, aha, right? You're looking around you, it's the same house, the same stuff, the same people, but all of a sudden it has meaning. All of a sudden you realize this is a gift from Hashem and I have to use it in a meaningful way. That's what Shabbos candles do for us. And in that sense, it's life-changing. It's absolutely life-changing. In that vein, I want to add, you know, some people ask regarding the mitzvah campaigns, Why did the Rebbe choose the campaigns that he chose? Um, you know, when you're Makarev, when you are trying to draw a Jew near, there are certain mitzvahs that you try to educate them about first. This is the argument. Why, do we, why, does, why did the Rebbe encourage that we should introduce people to Shabbos candles specifically, which again, I mentioned earlier is, is rabbinic. Why not talk to them about Shmira's Shabbos, about keeping Shabbos? You know, like not doing work on Shabbos. And, and there are people who, who ask this question quite often. They're kind of confused by it. I mean, not working on Shabbos, that, that's a biblical commandment, right? And, and I guess the answer if I may humbly suggest, is kind of what we've been talking about so far, which is when you light the Shabbos candles and you have your Shabbos candle moment and you start to see things more clearly, that will bring you 
to eventually keeping Shabbos, ultimately. And it'll bring you to, ultimately, keeping other mitzvahs. But the Shabbos candles turn on the lights so we can start to have some clarity and start to appreciate things for what they really are. In fact, there's a story. The Rebbe told this story in the early days of the Shabbos candle campaign. The Rebbe told a story about a little girl in Eretz Yisrael, a little Israeli girl who went to a public school, a non-religious, you know, very secular school, and she met a girl in her neighborhood. Seems from the story it was probably a Lubavitcher girl. And this one girl offered the other girl Shabbos candles. So this very um, non-observant girl from this very non-observant family comes home with Shabbos candles, and she wanted to light the Shabbos candles. Well, her parents weren't thrilled about it, but they didn't want to, you know, they didn't want to nix it. So they, they let her, you know, okay, fine, go light your Shabbos candle. But what happened is slowly, you know. The, the family started to notice. It's hard not to notice this, you know, it's fire. It's, you know, there's something primal. There's something primal about the glow of fire. You ever seen people, whenever there's a fire, they just stop and they stand around. They ooh and they ah. There's just something that draws us. So she would light the Shabbos candle and that's it. She, she was just lighting the Shabbos candle. But the parents who were completely non-observant, but they kind of knew some things. I mean, they were Israeli. They lived in Israel. They had some concept. Maybe they had a religious grandparent. They had some concept of, of Judaism. So eventually what happened is, while the Shabbos candle was lit, they didn't want to do labor in front of the candle. Whatever they understood. I mean, they hadn't studied Lamed Tes Malachas. They didn't know exactly what the 39 forbidden forms of labor were. But to their understanding, they didn't do work in front of the Shabbos candle because they had some, side of, some sort of a sensitivity that that would be you know, inappropriate. And, and then after a while, they said, you know, as long as we're not doing work, they have told this story, to Fabrengen, you know, uh, we don't, what, what, what should we just sit here for? Let, let's have a meal. You know, Shabbos, we'll have a meal. And then once they were having a Shabbos meal, they said, you know, let's make sure it's kosher. How could you have a Shabbos meal and it's not kosher? And step by step, this led the family to Shabbos observance. And they said, you know, if, you know, if we're observant on Shabbos, why shouldn't we be observant the other six days of the week? And eventually the, the, the entire family became completely Torah observant. All of the mitzvahs in their own time, at their own pace, out of love and excitement and, and, and their own interest and passion. But how did it start? Because a little girl brought that one little flame into the house and it turned on the lights, literally turned on the lights for all of them. And, and they got that clarity. And once that clarity sort of entered the home, it was only a matter of time that they were able to, to see the truth in all, in all ways. So, you know, when people ask, what's with the Shabbos candles? Why not, you know, observing Shabbos, which is a biblical commandment, Lighting Shabbos candles will bring to observing Shabbos and Kashris and Taras Mishpacha and Tefillin and all of the mitzvahs and Torah study and everything else there is. But first, you got to turn on the lights. And, and I think it's important to also um, uh, emphasize here, because this was a very important theme when the Rebbe would speak about Shabbos candles, is I think it's important to emphasize not just how Shabbos candles have this, um, this effect to slowly awaken us and inspire us, but it's very important to, to mention here, because the Rebbe always did, that it's specifically something that girls do. 
women and girls. But Rebbe almost emphasized the little girls more than, than the mothers. And that was one of the, the, the novel things that the Rebbe encouraged, that even little girls before Bas Mitzvah, and in fact, as young as three years old, and in fact, there were times that the Rebbe even encouraged girls younger than three, if they could make the bracha, if they could recite the blessing, that even tiny, you know, toddlers should light Shabbos candles. There's something very special about this idea of women and girls having this power, this, this, this power to light up the home and to light up the world. And it comes specifically from women and girls and even very, very small girls. There's a certain power that, that, that women have. It starts from the home, but it emanates to the community and to the whole world. I just want to mention um, that, of course, as we're speaking about Jewish girls, I want to mention that this entire series of mitzvah uh, campaign classes is dedicated in, in memory of uh, Dina Leia Rosenzweig, Allah Shalom. And uh, this should be every mitzvah that we do because of these classes should be uh, in, in, in her merit. And when you light Shabbos candles, this Shabbos and every Shabbos, you should, you should have her in mind. I also uh, want to mention uh, her friend, Esther Perl Bas Chanadveira should have a refuah shleima. We send her our prayers of, of healing. And again, when you light Shabbos candles this Shabbos, have in mind Esther Perl Bas Chanadveira for a complete and speedy recovery. Um, I think I just, you know, I want to finish off by sharing a story with you uh, about the power of Shabbos candles and little girls and. It's one of my favorite stories, and uh, it was told to me by a friend of mine who, who was the person in the story, so I'll, I'll, I'll share it with you. I have a friend uh, of Remy Berkowitz, and uh, when he was a bacher and yeshiva, yeshiva student, he went on Merkel Schliches to Alaska. Merkel Schliches is when they send uh, yeshiva boys in the summertime to areas that are not... Uh, don't have enough of a Jewish community to sustain a full-time Chabad presence. So uh, he and his friend uh, Levy went for the summer to Alaska, and on the very last day, there was a community that they hadn't visited yet. It was called Homer, Alaska, and they, they heard about one Jewish woman who lived in Homer. So they made a calculation. Do we have time? Can we get to Homer and get back to, I think, Anchorage? And then they had to fly to Seattle, Seattle to L.A., L.A. to New York. So it was their last day. They said, yeah, if we hurry, we can go there. We can meet this one Jewish woman who lives in Homer, and then we can get back and we'll you know, make all of our flights. So they get to Homer, and the Jewish woman, the one Jewish woman who lived there was a school teacher. So it was the middle of the day. She was at work. She was at the school. So they went to the school, and they were looking for her, and they met her, and she told them her whole story. She, lived, she grew up in, in, in New York, and she left home, and she ended up in Alaska, and she married uh, an Eskimo, an actual Eskimo, a native Alaskan, and uh, they had a daughter, and all of a sudden, the yeshiva boys, they say to her, you have a daughter? She says, yeah. 
They say, so there's not one Jew in Homer, Alaska. There are two Jews. Your daughter's, your daughter, she's Jewish. We want to meet her. Where, where is she? She says, she's in school. What school? She says, what school? This school. There's only one school for 100 miles. This is it. Can we meet her? Yeah, you can meet her. So the mother left and she told the principal to you know, pull her daughter out of class and send her down. So this little eight-year-old girl is pulled out of class. She's coming down the hall and Avrami is thinking to himself, I'm about to talk to a little eight-year-old Jewish girl who has probably never seen another Jew in her life other than her mother and her own reflection in the mirror. I'm probably the first Jewish man that she's ever seen in her life and for sure the first rabbi. And I have one minute before Levy and I have to get in the car, get back to Anchorage, to fly to Seattle, to fly to LA, to fly to New York. I have one minute. What am I going to tell this girl? Imagine that. You meet someone who has never <laughs> met another Jew except for their own you know, uh, mother in their entire life. You have one minute to talk to her, one minute to empower her. What are you going to tell her? So Rami told me, he says, look, I was only there because the Lubavitcher Rebbe sent me there. So I thought to myself, Rebbe, you sent me here. I'm just a yeshiva boy. I have no idea what to say. You put the words in my mouth and I'll, I'll just say them. So the girl walks in. He's standing in front of this eight-year-old girl. And he just opens his mouth and he starts to talk. Now he realized he was already instinctively holding in his hands the Shabbos candles. Why? Because when, when we go on Mevzoyim, when we go, you know, on the mitzvah campaigns, you know, we put on tefillin with men and we offer Shabbos candles to women. So he instinctively knew he was meeting a Jewish girl. He was already holding the Shabbos candles in his hands. So he's holding the Shabbos candles. He, hold, he holds it up in front of this little girl says, do you know what this is? She says, it's a candle. He says, do you know what kind of candle? She says, no. He says, it's a Shabbos candle. Do you know what that is? No. you know what Shabbos is? No. No clue. He's got 30 seconds. He says to her, God created the world in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. Every seventh day, Friday night at sundown, God rests against God's holy day of rest. And to usher in the holy day of rest, Jewish women and girls all over the world light a candle. Now, the first place where Shabbos comes into the world, the first place where it's sundown Friday in the entire world, farthest east place is in Australia. So you see the world, if you can look at the globe, you look at the the world, you can see little lights start to pop up in Melbourne, in Sydney. That's Shabbos coming into Australia. Then a little while later, you see some lights in South Africa, and up in Europe, England. Then it's quiet for a while. The sun is setting over the Atlantic. Oh, then there's this big light, the light in New York. Then there's lights in Chicago. Then there's lights in uh, California. And, and God watches this as the lights pop up, as women and girls in all these communities all over the world light Shabbos candles. And, and, and God watches and he waits for each of these lights to be lit on the eve of the Holy Day of Rest. And God waits and he watches until the last Jewish girl in the entire world who lives in the last place, the farthest west place in the whole world, where the sun sets every Friday afternoon until she lights Shabbos candles. God waits and watches. And who is that little girl? Remy says to the eight-year-old, who's the last little girl who's the farthest out, farthest place, the last place where the, where the sun sets every week, who has the ability to light a Shabbos candle? That little girl is you.
And Rami gives her the Shabbos candle. We were given a gift to have this knowledge. I'm saying that the Rebbe told us how powerful Shabbos candles are. And that we know that every little Jewish girl who lights another Shabbos candle is bringing more light into the world. And it's no small thing. And if you can encourage another Jewish woman or girl to light Shabbos candles, that is making the world a holier, healthier place. Just want to tell you one last thing. And this is something only the Rebbe could say. The Rebbe, I'll tell it to you and you'll understand. Only the Rebbe could say this. Such a powerful idea. The speed of light is approximately 186,000 miles per second. The circumference of the Earth is approximately 24,900 miles. That means the wide way around the world, okay? At the equator, or from any point to its opposite point and back again, that would be approximately 25,000 miles. Now, that means that if light shines on any spot of the face of the Earth, unobstructed, it will shine around the world and back again more than seven times in a second. <laughs> what does that mean? That means that when a light is lit at any spot on the face of the Earth, its effect on the entire Earth is instantaneous. Let's remember that. There's no small light. Every light changes the entire world. Thank you again for, uh, for joining us. And may we, may we all see light in our lives and, and in the entire world.